Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that this will probably be a a little bit of a shorter message tonight. Uh, But just because of it's going to be a shorter message, please don't think that that means it's less important. I believe this is very important tonight. So so please uh, pay attention as as I read. Acts chapter 2, the very beginning of the chapter is is Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit descends and starts to indwell the believers. Um, Peter then would give his great message, which we'll look at just briefly in context, uh, starting in verse number... 14 and from 14 through 41 is his message and the response of the of uh, the response of the message where 3000 people the lord saved at that particular moment and then starting in verses 42 through 47 we're going to see what happens next right after the conversion what will the er- this early church be like these 3,000 people that have gotten saved along with about 120 that were there earlier in the first part of the chapter. So just a little over 3,000 people. What would, there, what would these characteristics of the early church be like? Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So let's look at, for just a few minutes as far as a few characteristics that they had immediately after conversion. What they did together. Notice first, they devoted themselves and then they would devote themselves to several different things. Now that word devote, it, it's a, a, they would remain steadfast continually. They gave themselves fully over to these next few things that they were Um, gathered together for. This wasn't just a casual thing. This wasn't a sporadic thing that they did just every once in a while. This was a pattern of life. First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Teaching, doctrine. It was important. It was necessary it was necessary to, to know exactly what it was. I mean, a lot of these people came from, from a variety of different backgrounds. I might get into that in a little bit. So they, they needed to know what they, they wanted to know what they needed to know. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, when it says the apostles' teaching, they were not just teaching, the apostles were not just teaching things out of their own 
flesh, their own desire, what they wanted to teach. What was it that they were teaching? They were teaching exactly what Jesus had told them to teach as he had spent the last three and a half years with them in the earthly ministry. In fact, if you think about the Great Commission... Jesus told the disciples to go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then do you remember what the next phrase is? Teaching them to observe or to obey all the things that I have been teaching you in the past. This is what the apostles would concentrate on. What Jesus had been teaching them for those three and a half years, back as far as with the Old Testament, what the Old Testament would re refer to, the apostles. In fact, if you look at the, the very first message that Peter gave at Pentecost, you get an idea of what the apostles' teaching was. Uh, in fact, I wasn't going to do this, but let's go ahead and look. Verse 14. Let's just read this sermon that Peter gave to give you an idea of what it was that he and the other apostles were teaching. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. This is only the third hour of the day. That's a reference to what was going on with the, uh, the speaking of tongues, the speaking in various different languages that they could understand. He's saying they're not drunk. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then from verses 17 to 21, he gives a, a reference of what Joel has said, said. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. They shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and then he says in response to the, what Joel has said Peter says this men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. By the way, just think about, remember as far as this morning as Pastor Larry was preaching, he was talking a little bit about the Apostle Peter and as far as how that he would deny Jesus three different times. What a contrast to what we see right here. Here, here Peter is bold. He's now been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He is preaching to them and saying, You have crucified the Messiah, you yourselves. But God, and th th this was all according to the plan of God, this, this thing that has happened is, is, is not plan B for, that God has come up with and that the death of Jesus came by surprise. And he says, Oh, what, what, what do I've got to do next? Or something. No, this was all planned from eternity past. The one that you crucified and killed, verse 24 says, God has raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he goes to another, excuse me, another 
prophecy, this time by, the, by David in the book of Psalms, when he says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then, Paul, then Peter would address what this is in reference to. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. His tomb was with us to this day. So it wasn't his, his soul that didn't uh, have, have corruption. Who's it talking about? It's talking about someone who was a descendant of Jesus. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. Again, the resurrection, when you see the Old Testament, it was prophesied as well. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is just now happening, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens. It wasn't David that was to ascend after his resurrection. But it was Jesus himself. As David would say in Psalm, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What was the response of the people? Now earlier in the chapter it talks about how that when it comes with, with what was happening at Pentecost and everything, um, that they, they were confused, they were bewildered because they were hearing some speak in their own language. Um, talks about some were amazed but perplexed. Others were, were mocking them, saying that you're drunk and everything like this. Here's what a lot of the people's response is at this particular time, once Peter gave this message. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They knew that they were in the wrong and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized every one unto you into the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gift is the Holy Spirit himself. For the promise is for you, this promise of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. Talking about Gentiles. For everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So when we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching the apostles doctrine part of it is along with other teachings as well but as far as the way of salvation itself and as far as we cannot save ourselves salvation is something that is not something that we can we can save ourselves by doing the very best we possibly can no it is God himself who saves us 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We see this throughout the book of Acts, what it was that they taught. We see this as, as Paul and Peter would write letters to the different individuals and two different churches exactly what it was that Jesus wanted them to know and what exactly Jesus wants us to know about him and about his plan for our life. They devoted themselves to this. This was the most important thing in their life. They didn't, didn't just come together just to hear a quote-unquote nice message and feel like they've done their duty for the week. They devoted themselves, not just in a weekly thing, but in it was a day-to-day lifestyle both as far as to the temple, but even as far as meeting in other people's homes, which we'll see next in a, in a few minutes. They devoted themselves to this. It was important. But not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, notice what they devoted themselves to next. They devoted themselves to fellowship. What comes to your mind when you hear the word fellowship? This is typically, I, I have I've pretty much grown up in church my entire life. Um, I, I cannot remember a time when I was not in church. I mean, I, I think by the time I was a week old, I was in church in the nursery. And I've been pretty much ever, ever since then. And it seems like whenever I hear people talking about fellowship, what their mind, their concept, mental conception is, is getting together as a church family, and we, some church, a lot of churches will have like a fellowship hall, and they'll have very possibly a meal together as a church family. And that is a, a part of fellowship. In fact, we'll see that in a moment. But fellowship is so much more than just that. In fact, the Greek word here is koinonia, is to where they had... Um, uh, it, for example, you, you might know that the New Testament was not just written in Greek, but it was written in Koine Greek, which comes from the root word of koinonia, which means having all things in common. Sometimes it talks about, it's translated as sharing or partnership or fellowship. But when, when the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, it was written in common Greek. But we'll see here as far as with fellowship, and the next uh, couple verses talks about a little bit what the fellowship was like. One of the aspects was is that they had so much things in common, both the common Holy Spirit that indwelt them, but even as far as their possessions themselves. But we'll get to that. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But to the fellowship, they were devoted to the fellowship. Now, the, the next couple phrases, the breaking of bread and prayers, some scholars will have it they were devoted specifically to those individual things as well. Some of it believe that it is more of a subset of fellowship, where the breaking of bread and prayers is more of a subset of fellowship, which is kind of what I'm, I'm thinking of here. But if that is the case, the breaking of bread, it is a reference to both the Lord's Supper, that where we where we commemorate the, the death, 
resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember why it was that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross in the first place? To the breaking of bread, but also as far as getting together, having fellowship meals. And back then they had it as far as they would meet uh, even in the homes. Verse number uh, 46 talks about day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Meals in their homes. And whether fellowship has to have meals to it, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. But when it comes to fellowship, we are remembering what it is that we have in common that holds us together. And that is the indwelling Holy Spirit. If we are a believer in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. We have identified ourselves as Christians and that it is the most important thing in our life is serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we have that in common, all of the other differences that we might have can, can kind of a little bit fade away. But true fellowship is not just fellowship as far as getting together with somebody uh, that we have a lot of common interest with. I mean, the world does that. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I like getting together with individuals that we have a lot of, lot of interest in common. For example, if you know anything about me, you know that I am a sports fan. I like talking sports. I was about to go on a, a sports thing. I better not do that. But, but, but it is something that I love. And so it is easy for me if I found, find out that someone else likes sports whether it be football, which is the best sport, sorry, baseball, very, no. But, but seriously, we, I can talk to sports all day long, but is that true? Fellowship. It can be friendship for, for again, having a common interest in mind and everything, but it is not true Christian fellowship. Now, Christian fellowship, when it, when it happens and when we get together and we talk about what God is doing in our lives, we can talk about that other, the other stuff as well, sports, hobbies, all, all that other stuff, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. But are we sharing our lives with each other? Because that is what true fellowship is. If all that it is is just getting together a couple times a week together to meet in church for an hour, two hours with Sunday school or whatever, we're not going to have true fellowship. We, we come to meet together. I mean, we're, we're commanded to do that. Yes. But fellowship is something that we do in church, should be doing in church, as we talk about what God's done in our lives, but even sharing our day-to-day -day lives. And that's, that's difficult with the, community, with the way that society is nowadays because we're just so busy. But fellowship, whether it be throughout the week, getting together as far as texting someone, seeing how, how they're doing, praying for them because again I believe uh, when it says to the breaking of bread and the prayers true fellowship will have 
true prayer involved as well. Authentic prayer. Fellowship. And this, this might... I'm, something a little bit else about me that you probably know, at least some of you know. I tend to be a little bit of an introvert, and that might catch a lot of you by surprise. So it can be difficult for me to be around large crowds of people. And it is ironic that the Lord had been preparing me for this particular passage this week because I think Pastor Larry, I think he texted or called me maybe Monday or Tuesday of this week. And this was the passage that my mind automatically went to. And it just so happened that I think it was right around that same time, Rachel and I and family were invited to go to someone else's house and several families were going to get together today. And I'm going to be honest with you, okay? My first thought was, I really don't want to do this today. I've had a long week. I need to finish preparing my message. And it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, Michael, this message that you're preparing, are you actually going to live it out? Well, yes. And I had a good time. I did, DJ Blake, I promise. And it was not because I didn't want to be with them that I, I, it's just because of my introversion and because of just the long week and everything, I just wanted to rest, just wanted to, I've been around people all week. But the Lord had something else in mind. And I believe we had true fellowship today. We did not just talk about certain hobbies and activities and, and stuff like that, though there was a little bit about that as well. In fact, one of the very first things that was said to me was, tell me about how the Lord saved you. And it took me back for just a moment. But it was a good thing to say. Because what happened... They got to know me, and I got to know them in a little bit different way than if we were just talking about our hobbies and, and things we like to do and, and things like that. True fellowship. They devoted themselves to this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, in which part of the fellowship had to do with the breaking of bread, and part of the fellowship had to do with prayers. But notice what comes next. And all came upon every soul. Now, if you keep on reading, the very next phrase says, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And you might think at a casual glance that the all came from the wonders and signs that the apostles did. But if you look, that's not what the scripture says here. 
It says, all came upon every soul and something else in addition to many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So the question is, what was it that the, these new believers, what was causing them to be in so much reverential awe? It is because they were fully experiencing what God had just done to their lives. They, were, they had not lost the joy of their salvation. They, they had just received salvation and they were seeing God work not through the signs and wonders, which we'll talk about in just a moment, but through kind of common means of grace as far as the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. In fact, go back to chapter 2, verse number 8 and through 11 real quick. Because I, I, I didn't go with this, uh, I didn't say this yet, and I, I think this is important. When it comes to devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine, but especially when it comes to fellowship, they devoted themselves to fellowship and what it looked like. Who were, who were these new believers? What, what were they like? What did they seemingly have in common outside of now the indwelling Holy Spirit and their common faith in Christ? Look who these people were. Um, well, let's go to verse 5 first. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. These were some of the people who had just gotten saved. What do we see from that? They probably didn't have a whole lot in common. They would have had not just a different ethnic group, very possibly different uh, socioeconomic status, different backgrounds, different personalities, but they had the most important thing in common, that was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So when it comes to fellowship, we don't limit ourselves just to people just like us who are believers, but to, but to all those who are true believers, no matter what background, nationality that they come from. Okay. Back to verse number... Forty-four. All came upon every soul, and then many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So the question might be, well, if this was what the early church was like, should we expect signs and wonders today? And I would say, no. Why? Because notice that the signs and wonders were done through who? The apostles. Question, do we have apostles today? 
And though I know that some people call themselves apostles, I would say no. Why? Because one of the qualifications for being an apostle is to be able to see visibly the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know of anyone who has actually seen that today. So the emphasis, even with the all, is not necessarily on the signs and wonders. And we got, we got uh, people today who, are, who can be so caught up in just the supernatural, the, um, caught up in the seemingly visible supernatural. And so often what, what God does is he works in those common everyday ways. Verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Again, talking about fellowship. And and one of the things as far as with this, they, they had all things in common. And one of the ways that this was manifested was verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now this was... You might wonder, was this something that was commanded by them, that they were supposed to do this? It wasn't commanded. In fact, we see in Acts chapter number 5, as far as with Ananias and Sapphira, and we remember as far as what happened to them, their sin, wasn't, their sin was the fact that they lied about what they did. They sold a particular piece of uh, possession, but then they said that they gave all of it to this collection to give to those in need. And actually they kept back some of us themselves. This isn't something that was absolutely commanded. But it was something that was. This was a radical generosity. Free will. That they did willingly. In fact we see the kind of the pattern of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. They did this willingly. This wasn't forced. And it definitely wasn't something like the government came involved as, as far as forcing everyone to give away everything that they had and to give to the poor. No, this was something that they did willingly out of their hearts. I'm not saying that, that every believer today has to sell everything they have. And they didn't sell everything they have because a lot of them still had their own homes we see in verse 46 and following. But they were willing to sell certain things that they had and to give to those who were legitimately in need. And this was part of the fellowship. And I, I just, this is not something that is to be commanded today that every believer has to do this, but we should be willing to do, willing to do it. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Day by day. Again, this was the, the, the pattern. Some people get upset because we have Sunday night service. Well, I'm not saying we here at Diamond Hill, but I have no of individuals who, who are upset when churches meet also on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and things like that. But, I mean, they went a lot farther than that. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Two things here we see. As, as far as we've seen generous hearts and we've seen how that, that manifested itself, but also glad hearts. They were full of joy. And that is something also that was... Um, 
a characteristic of the early church is that they had joy despite all the obstacles that they were facing. In fact, we see as far as the persecution and everything would come later, but we think as far as Paul's letter to the Philippians and how often joy, rejoice comes in that. Even when Paul was in prison where he wrote the letter, they were joyful. What this says is joy is not dependent upon our circumstances, our happenings about what we might find ourselves in day by day. Joy is found in the Lord Jesus Christ himself, knowing that we are his. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, and they would praise God for this. They would praise God, recognizing that he is the source of everything, from their salvation to even the very food that they were eating at that very moment. They praised God. And here's another interesting phrase. Having favor with all the people. And that that to me is an interesting phrase there. Having favor with all the people. In fact, when when you think about the early church, you, you might, one of the first things you think about is all the persecution that was going on. And obviously that that was the case. But they were also would have favor with the people. And I believe what this is in reference to is this. Their lives matched their doctrine. They were not, to use a phrase, jerks for Jesus. They were not hypocrites. They were demonstrating the true love that they had for one another and for their community. And a lot of the people recognized that. And that was one thing that would draw certain that the Lord would use to draw certain people into them. In fact, the very last phrase says this in verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And it seems first off we, we recognize again, we see verse 41, those who received his word were baptized, they were added that day about 3000 souls. Uh, we, we say as far as Peter's message, salvation comes from the Lord. We see here that the Lord added to their number day by day. We recognize that salvation belongs to the Lord. He is the originator of it. We do not save ourselves. He has provided salvation. And it was the Lord himself added to their number day by day. And it seems like from the context, one of the ways in which and where he added day by day, is because the world saw what these early church was like. And they recognized true unity. They recognized true love. They recognized true generosity. They recognized that this was not something that was fake whatsoever. This was genuine. And it seems like the Lord used that to prick people's hearts as well. Not just as far as we see as far as Peter's message and where they, would, where they were cut to the heart. But then also they saw it not just in the preaching but also in the lifestyle of the believers as they modeled what God's word had to say characteristics of the early church 
So the question I have for each and every one of us today is, in these characteristics that we have looked at tonight, what might be one or two characteristics that you personally might say, this isn't as evident in my life as it should be? I can go ahead and tell you what it is for me, and it was with fellowship. But what is it for you? Maybe for you it's fellowship. Maybe for you it's something else. We looked at today for, for some of the Sunday school classes, we, we looked at as far as Jesus' high priestly prayer uh, and talked about as far as the unity that God gives and that Jesus' prayer for us was that we would be one. And we are one as we follow closely to the Lord, as we that relationship with the Lord gets stronger day by day, and where that then manifests itself to our day-to-day lives with other people, with believers. And then also, though it looks different as far as how we conduct our lives, um, with unbelievers as well we, as we speak the truth in love and I, I come to that a lot we speak the truth we do it in love it's not either or it's both let's pray Heavenly Father we do, again uh, thank you for the day that you have given um, pray that this has been a, a help tonight a kind of more of a reminder Uh, of what uh, is important, what um, is important in the life of a church. And I just pray that um, we know that your word will never return void, and I just pray that the Holy Spirit would use what was said in your word tonight um, to minister to people's hearts in whatever area that they need minister to. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.